Hello, everyone. I'm Mike. This is Tony. And 2020 ended, you know, about four days ago. Thank God. Thank God. But we did receive some news a couple days ago that I would like to address. Um, our dear friend at Pink Sock Podcast. I didn't know him as much as others did, but I did. We did talk to him for an hour, hour and a half. Great guy, great guest, and he will be missed. Um, I would like to have a moment of silence for legendary producer Steve Brown. That was about 10 seconds, uh, 10 seconds of silence for Mr. Steve Brown. He was a great guy. He actually discovered the cult. He was the producer for Wham's first album. Uh, he ran the drive, helped run the drive foundation for mental health. Uh, we were looking forward to having him back on. It's very unfortunate what happened and our condolences go out to his family and his friends. Um, it was really sudden. Um, so Steve, if you're watching, we love you, brother. <laughs> So without further ado, we're going to do the show that we already had planned. Um, we have Anna from Rock Dance Theater. And before we get to her, I would like to thank our patrons, who is Garak, the Garak, finally, the Garak, <laughs> Hot Amy, Gloria Salinas, David Dowdle, and Joe Bashir to become a Patreon today. You just visit patreon.com slash official Mike Without further ado, we do have the lovely and the talented Anna of Rock Dance Theater. Gentlemen, hello. Happy hello. New Year. Happy New Year 2021. It's been a uh, crazy year so far. We uh, we lost Steve Brown, and I received news that today, I believe, the guitarist and lead singer of Children of Bodom passed away. Yeah. Very sad news indeed. My card go, goes out to all of his relatives and family and naturally a terrible loss. But as you said, Mike, uh, Tony, for sure, he's watching and they're, they're already walking out with us from, from up in heaven. Yeah. We're ready to rock and roll. So how was 2020 uh, for, for you, Anna? Um, <laughs> go to any good oh. shows? <laughs> Where do I start? It was interesting. But, um, you know, everything pandemic aside, to be honest, it's, it's been one of the busiest years of my life, of my creative career. Because, um, you know, to be honest, with, with people like me, meaning creators, meaning stage animals and performers, limitation like that creates kind of an instinct of, you know, survival, fight, and get the hell out of here. So, However isolated it was, I had the, the reflex just to kind of create, find ways to, you know, create content, get that out to the crowd, to the fans, and, uh, you know, stay also connected to, to the community, you know, amongst us rockers and just, you know, not be isolated and be together as much as we can and even slip in a show or two and an appearance or two out in the free world. So <laughs> I, I cannot complain. It, it's been good. You know, overall, it's been good to me. It's been weird because it's cool how we all adapted. Like everyone was able to adapt because concerts are still going on. They're just not in person. Like Kiss recently, uh, Kiss put on a concert, yeah. a live stream concert, and they had, uh, I think, the biggest firework production in history, the biggest flame. I'm like, dude, well, it guys... was the biggest of everything, I think. Yeah. I mean, as Kiss, right? The biggest, richest, you know, most bombastic band in the whole world. 
But uh, yes, they did. No one else dared to, and they literally flew in staff. I actually watched the stream like after midnight uh, on New Year's. So it, it was fun. You know, it was one of these moments like, okay, however tragic, however pandemic, you know, still amidst we are, you, you know, those guys kind of made the tipping point that, hey, this is going to continue. This is going to go on. It might take a while while we all get kind of back uh, into action. And, uh, but, you know, rockers are survivors, basically. It's just like, it's always going to be there, like no matter what. So it's only a question of time and figuring out ways how to do it ASAP. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, shows will come back eventually. <laughs> we just don't know when. But last I'd like year, to have a date on that too, trust me. <laughs> last year, though, you did celebrate a three-year anniversary. I did, yeah. Actually, Rock Dance Theater hit three years old, uh, my latest baby. I mean, I've been an active, you know, stage performer, choreographer, you name it, for the last 20 years, working under my, just my name, Anna Akimovic and Teatro Compagnie Akimovic from 2011 to 15. And then 26th of March, actually, Steven Tyler's birthday, funny enough, something, you know, invaded me and then Rock was born. So kind of it all came together, you know, the fashion thing and, and playing guitar and doing all kinds of interaction um, with musicians kind of led to this, you know, new outlet and a completely new stage language, if you will, that is Rock Dance Theater. So correct. So do you uh, or have you done any live streams for Rock Dance Theater yet? Um, you mean like live shows, full on like, streams? Like full on live show streams. Have you thought about it? We we actually didn't, you know, like I was lucky enough over the summer to actually do three live shows, like three outdoor festivals. Uh, me and Vincent Grotesque that actually did the costume design as well. Um, Vincent was uh, a part of the show. He was a, a vocalist, the, the host of the kind of our headline part of the festival and uh he he's also a guitar player actually so we we had a, a rock dance theater show based on that uh, it wasn't streamed everyone was kind of so excited you know to finally be amongst the crowds that like none of us thought about it and now i i look at my phone and i think god we literally have a couple of selfies because we were so in you know enjoying being in the car again being together traveling over there you know doing rehearsal doing a little bit of press on location so um but it, it, I think it's one of the things uh, that I'm definitely going to look into. You know, it's a question of logistics, to be honest, which venue in Europe um, operates on a similar scale kind of that um, to United States, because America has that down pretty well, you know, established. Mm -hmm. Over here in Europe, it's a little bit different because like, first off, none of us here in Europe was planned, uh, were prepared for for world pandemic. So so it kind of takes a while to adapt these things. And it's usually either freelancers that, that stream these things. But definitely if an opportunity comes up, you know, I'm going to be the first one, you know, to announce it. And, and you guys are going to be the first ones to know. So hopefully the new project Back to Basics will go live uh, maybe before it goes live on stage. So let's see. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> back to basics <laughs> back to basics exactly <laughs> and uh the, the idea by that i think i came up with it in november or december because i was kind of thinking about uh, a name a title for for a next tour or a next project and my whole 2020 basically was you know that uh, got that wrong other direction that base hanging out up there on the wall my my latest inspiration and you know true love so that's going to be definitely um, a partner and a very huge center point in, in my next Rock Dance Theater show. But also something that could translate to kind of the new year, the new times, 
it is back to basics, right? We are figuring out how to get back on stage. We're, you know, trying to to meet up with people again, introduce hugs, introduce sweating on each other, you know, with the vaccine coming up, hopefully that gets distributed fast so that we can do all of it. Because I think you and I, um, Mike, everyone that is watching have missed, you know, the human factor inter interaction more than anything. And to be honest, as fun as, as doing, you know, these podcasts and interviews, live is, is awesome for, for all of us, for the whole community to stay together and not feel alone and basically put on the rock dance theater show um, out of our living rooms. Uh, you know, nothing is going to substitute the real thing. So fingers <laughs> crossed for getting back to basics. <laughs> getting back to, so when did you start learning bass? Was that a recent thing or cause I. Um, funny story actually, like to, in 2019 over, over summer, um, Disturbed was doing a run uh, through Europe and I forgot the name of the tour. Please kill me right now, but I'm sure your fans are going to dig that up. And I, pr I briefly worked with the guys on a, on a show or two and kind of John Moyer's playing like hit me and influenced me like, oh my God, like this dude is an animal on stage. It's just like, it, it's an extension of his body. You know, the, he's organic. He's like hardcorely in, you know, he plays low on his knees. It's just, you know, it rocks. So that was kind of the first like introduction of like, oh wait, bass is actually a pretty cool instrument. Cause I initially kind of started playing guitar, um, self-taught, you know, so electric guitar was one of these things that really triggered, you know, the rock dance theater thing. But then, um, a friend of mine gave me a fretless bass that actually sat in my in my kitchen for a year from like July 2019. Well, a little bit shorter, maybe from May up until, you know, January uh, 2020. And there was absolutely no reason and motivation to grab it and learn to play it. I did maybe once or twice. But, you know, fretless, you got you got to be an advanced player because, you know, it's, it's a real instrument. Um, and then, funny enough, it, it needed a world pandemic in 2020 to actually introduce that. Like, um, I was lucky enough in January and February 2020, uh, right before everything started to shut down, I was teaching a small workshop tour because uh, I also teach workshops and seminars and master classes on um, performing arts, on, you know, stage work and choreography and body management on the health side of things. Um, so I did that. And uh, one of the last shows that I saw was Megadeth. And also the day before um, the guys played over in, in, in Warsaw in Europe, when I, when I saw the show, that was uh, February 12th. And the date is very much implemented in my brain because it was one of those, you know, peak moments, last show scene, you know, before the world kind of ended for us. Um, so I got to say that on the metal side of bass playing, like David Ellison was a huge um, influence and kind of inspiration to grab the bass. So off the wall, um, off the wreck, you know. You're, Here we go. You're a David Ellison fan. I couldn't tell by looking at your Facebook page. <laughs> uh, really? Well, you know, I had a whole year to kind of share all of the good stuff from people that were really on board with creating, you know. And and David Ellison, among others, was one of the most busiest, you know, metal artists and rock artists out there next to couple of others you know the ryan roxy camp was busy with with shows and doing a couple of you know acoustic streamed shows out of the living room um you know acdc was working on on a record and i gotta say rock dance theater was busy as hell as well because that's what we do <laughs> well, david elfson he not only is busy with megadeth but he has a solo band now yeah well he was mostly busy with his solo 
um, endeavor with with Ellison, basically, and with his with his crew and everything else connected to that. I mean, Megadeth, from from what I what I read officially, also has a new album in the works that might drop this year. Um, something to really look forward to. I got to say that within the last year, aside of doing my own uh, kind of vintage vault videos, because I I figured I, I have a lot of actually unpublished and un you know shown. Uh, stage uh, footage and backstage footage from like years, years back. So I started this little video vault um, platform to publish those for the fans as well. And uh, among others, I, I had really a lot of time to binge one, watch YouTube, you know, catch up on rock documentaries, concerts from way back in the, you know, Thrash Bay area era in, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. So, you know, all of that kind of got cut up. So you, you can say that I did a rock and metal university externally you know aside of being creative and working on my own projects as well so. with with uh, 2020 i saw a uh, post the other day it's it said 2020 i watched netflix what what on netflix did you watch <laughs> all of it I all, of, all of Netflix. I did just the opposite like how ironic is it i actually canceled my subscription in january 2020 <laughs> i i can't believe <laughs> I'm a freeloader. I use other people's. Um. <laughs> That's a way to do it as well, you know. But uh, no, because I, I never tuned into it. It's like normally I don't stay at home as long. It's, it's the longest it's been. And we're still here. You know, it's still my same background, you know, in my living room over here. Um, I've moved over here to this apartment from Breslau in May 2019, I think. And I've been here ever since. All your past literally like this. But um I got to say that Netflix, I actually subscribed purely to watch the Motley Crue movie, Dirt, and that was it. Uh, and I remember the next following day, I think it was May 22nd, I might be wrong. But uh, when the movie dropped, I literally watched it twice in a row, or twice and a half, and then I had to depart very early for my flight, like at 5 or 6 a.m. And I was a zombie, basically. I was like, oh, that's, this is not a good idea. So I loaded up with coffee to go, and, and off I went. <laughs> I, I actually I admire you because you're busy as fuck. I always see you working on something. <laughs> like, I'm like, what is she doing this week? <laughs> well, you know what? It's kind of in the blood, you know. Like I've been like that ever since I was a kid, and even even over like holidays and Christmas and New Year's. Nor usually when normal people, and by normal I mean you know people that are not into rock, they're usually the audience. You know, people working at offices and stores and shops and you know other professions, not not in arts necessarily. Those people usually wind down and, you know, binge on alcohol, you know, massively eat, sleep on the couch, binge watch movies. And I'm the person that is most wired up and goes like, okay, let's do something, you know, let's shoot something. I have an idea for a photo shoot or whatever, you know, so I got it all backwards. <laughs> Possibly the three pots of coffee you drink a day. <laughs> no, like coffee doesn't affect me at all. It's just kind of taste, you know, I love the taste of coffee and it's a very ritual kind of thing. Um, always have been ever since I was a teen. So yeah, it's just kind of the first coffee is just like, okay, ding, ready to go. The rest is just, you know, like water, which I do have as well. Good to hydrate at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, know. thank you. I, I try to stay busy. And if it comes across like that, you know, great, because it, it's one of these things. It's a constant go, you know, either I, I do my solo projects or I do all kinds of collaborations. You know, I'm a, I'm a complete full on, you know, freelance artist. So sometimes like I pop up and 
um, you know, shows of others. I, I pop on a one-off show on tours. I, I jump into music videos. You know, I just I just love the creative factor, exchanging. You know, doing this brain kind of explosion with other people because as much as of course it kind of comes from the gut and from the heart and wherever elsewhere you know in terms of inspiration i gotta say that people stimulate me in that sense what and that's where the inspiration happens and that's that that's when you know projects like on edge or you know strings and veins happen or any other so there you go before I get to the next thing, because you were talking about music videos, so I have kind of a segment for that now. But I would like to tell everyone in the chat, hi. Um, hello, everyone in the chat. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being great supporters. If you're listening to this and you are not in the chat yet, make sure you subscribe. And if you subscribe, make sure you also go give Rock Dance Theater a like on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, periscope she's everywhere she's all over the freaking place you can even you can even go visit the website rockdancetheater.wixsite.com slash rockdancetheater and also busy as hell you got two things you <laughs> you can subscribe to and follow you've also got band-aid is is band-aid the same thing as the performing arts medicine eu or is that two separate um. things Okay, so yes, among two kind of main big projects, there is my art life and there is the medical life that not many people actually know about because I'm also a licensed and educated out of the university, trained physiotherapist. Um, I work with all kinds of patients and in the sports world and the performing arts world ever since 2011, I think. That's when I founded Dance Medicine Center originally. And that was actually, um, I was, I happened to be a pioneer in, in dance medicine over in Poland where I implemented the methods from my university um, over in, in Linz in Austria. I did my gyrotonic and gyrokinesis curriculum, you know, all kinds of kind of complex methods that I learned along the way aside of my performing arts education, my dance education, because originally I am a dancer, um, out of my, well, bio, if you will. Uh, so that kind of years, years later developed into uh, a branch of, of, of the, the, the clinic out of the private practice. So actually two years ago, I started working very extensively, two and a half now, my math is off because it's 2021 already. Uh, two and a half years ago, I started working with musicians uh, from multiple worlds, from opera houses, um, in very classical music, very uh, orchestra-based, uh, and into music, up into musicians with uh, working in rock and roll, pretty much guitar players, vocalists, bass players, drummers, uh, and that was kind of the beginning to uh, to create this platform that is that is a branch specialized for for musicians and for bands, which is uh, performing arts medicine that covers both athletes, um, dancers. Musicians, everyone pretty much that is, you know, um, a performing artist because sports happen to also fall under the category. And Band-Aid is the latest uh, branch of the clinic that is directly working with bands on and off tour, um, both individually and also around their management, right, right before their tour, you know, checking up on their health. Um, a huge edu educational part of that and workshops and, and seminars also falls under that. So to kind of explain it, um, performing arts medicine is the the mother hub and everything else is kind of branches and then specialized um, hubs for that. How do you find enough time in one day? Many people ask. <laughs> how often do you sleep at night? 
<laughs> that is a good question. These days, uh, funny enough, like I, why I'm on third coffee in a row, because like since New Year's, since the Kiss show, I was actually so wired up. I, I didn't put in much sleep. It was three or four hours. I was inspired. I was writing down concepts and, you know, working on, on all kinds of stuff, kind of for the new year and for, you know, 2022, um, depending. But to be honest, I, I really try to stay in balance with sleeping. You know, I laugh that I'm not 16 anymore. I started this thing when I was six, you know, working on stage. So like kind of many years later, uh, many decades later, there is wear and tear. And, you know, it's a high maintenance um, extreme sport, to be honest, being a physical performer and in rock. You got to sleep, you got to regenerate well, you got to hydrate, you know, that's kind of why, you know, I laugh that it's also self-serving for me, you know, being a medical professional because I exactly know what happens when you headbang. I know what injury you can have, you know, and what is the treatment time. So, you know, a part of that is actually sleeping and regenerating so that I am up and running and, you know, can be as much productive as I can and then put on the best show for my audience as I possibly can because I'm prepared. I'm ready, you know. Do you deal with a lot of uh, clients and stuff that have issues due to headbanging? Actually, I do. <laughs> Uh, quite a lot, actually. And, and funny, it's one of these injuries that uh, very much resembles uh, a whiplash thing, you know, the kind of injury when the car yeah. hits you in the back and you kind of move forward and then slap very fast back. It creates mm -hmm. this whiplash effect, right? So basically what it does, it disrupts the natural curvature of the spine. You have natural C, you know, curvature in the cervical spine and then the thoracic curvature and then the lumbar curvature as well so that kind of straightens everything out which means the ligaments have to really stretch and go into their extreme position but when they go back the the curvature actually and the biomechanics are completely off because it's it's a compensation from the accident so you know imagine 90 minutes of a thrash show and anyone that has ever watched a, a metal show or, or been into one you know as a fan you know, if you're wondering why your shoulder hurts or your head hurts or you have a migraine the day after or two days after, it's it's one of the, the things exactly. You're kind of disrupting your um, your balance or, and pressure of the craniosacral fluid, which is the fluid that flows between the brain, all the way down through the spinal column, all the way down to your sacrum and all the way up to uh, to put it in layman's terms. So I do. I actually do. I, I remember hearing about Corey Taylor. He's a good example. He actually, I think, broke his own neck from headbanging too much. It could have been. I think I read about that um, back in the day. It, it's one of these injuries that actually, you, you, you can have it both ways. Either you rip the soft tissue apart because due to massive extension, the head is around, it weighs seven to eight kilos. So basically the moment gravity kicks in, it's a couple of thousand newtons of pressure and shear force on a little, you know, spinal disc between two vertebrae. So basically when you imagine that throwing back into position, that's when either a rupture can happen to any structures or a compressive compressive fracture. So it, it could be, to be honest, anything depending on your anatomy, depending on your luck or the, the intensity of the head banging. So there are multiple biomechanic factors to that. You have as much hair as me. It's five to 10 pounds of uh... <laughs> <laughs> hair and the accessories, you know, the caps and the masks and the wigs. Yeah, all of that. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was like, uh, yeah, with all this, I'm surprised I haven't broke my neck yet. <laughs> I might have to come see you one of these days. 
welcome. These days I do online consults as well. Of course, you know, 95% of it is it's hand on, hands on, you know, I work very holistically. Uh, I also work with some uh, impulse adjustment and corrective devices, which I don't have around here writing. See, I'm completely unprepared, but it's basically, you know, oh my, it's okay. this long, it looks like a third arm extension. And sometimes it takes 15 to 20 minutes for, for someone to be adjusted, you know, pow, 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 wherever anything has to be brought back to place. And that's pretty much it. It's pain-free. It's very uh, effective and it, it solves a lot of problems in chronic pain, like within literally an impulse adjustment. It's, it's that, you know, kind of fascinating. It's not magic. I used to think so as well, but then later when I did my, you know, medical education, biomechanics and uh, physiology, it, it's not magic. It's the, it's the body's amazing, you know, um, priority to kind of self heal, you know, and, uh, and regenerate. You're a wizard. It's okay. You don't have to lie. You are I a wizard. <laughs> I look like I look like haggard, so I can say that. <laughs> you got a wizard head. Never judge a book by its cover, right? There's a saying that like that for a reason. <laughs> so back on the music video thing, you do like making appearances in music videos, but not just you. You like to become a cartoon and appear in music videos. You were in Supreme Unbeing's music video, Animals. How Correct. did how did that happen? Did they come to you and be like, hey, I want to animate you? Or how did that come about? Um, to be honest, uh, well, Supreme on Being, like the band, uh, is a very interesting concept that actually popped up uh, in 2020. It was one of these new projects. It's interesting enough because all of the guys are anonymous. So no one knows who they are. You know, they are on EMP label group, which is actually the label of David Ellison and Tom Hazard. And uh, somewhere around mid-year, you know, I was following the guys. I was kind of tuning into their music, and I and I really liked it. So I sometimes shared a post or so. I, I gave them a thumbs up, you know, as as we do. Uh, I kind of hit hit uh, Zach Red, who is the the front uh, front man of the band. I said, you know, hey, great concept, great music, super cool thing. Keep up the good work. And then a couple of months later, towards uh, like the end of the year, all of, just literally out of nowhere, Zach uh, hits me up. I, or I think it, he actually posted it online. Like, hey, by the way, you're going to be featured on the newest animated, you know, animals music video, like next to David and Tom. And I was like, okay. I don't mind. That's cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, the guys kind of tuned in into what I'm doing with Rock Dance Theater and this whole physical interactive kind of thing that is that is new, hasn't been done before. So, you know, I got to say it was a, the perfect ending to my 2020 great, you know, Christmas present, to be honest, being featured next to, you know, a, a living legend. Let's not mm -hmm. let's not name it otherwise, uh, as David Ellison is. Um, from Megadeth and also Tom Hazard. So that was a super cool little cameo uh, out there in the year. So um, head on and, and just watch it. And I want to give too much away, but Balas Grof, that is the, the animator um, of the whole video, captured really perfectly like the, the essence kind of of Rock Dance Theater. So. I uh, also work for a music media company. We actually got that in an email and I posted it and I'm like, that girl in that music video looks familiar. I wonder... <laughs> might be a little bit less pink right but um yeah super cool i mean i think that that's exactly one of these things that speaks for itself kind of if you can recognize a certain aesthetic and a quality even if it's not credited if it's not described who it is 
that to me kind of speaks for itself if you if you've developed a language that is unique in itself and that's exactly what i what i tend to do and and want to say that i'm that i'm proud for you know um that no one else does that and i try to keep it as as original and uncomparable as it can you know i i say at rock dance theater that the biggest compliment i can get is, is it's weird i don't get it like exactly you know if it's weird if it's strange yes you know that it, it means i've done my job right i hope a lot of the most legendary things that happen in music uh has been abnormal you know even that past just recently um same thing you know he was very much misunderstood very early on in his career it's just like who the hell is this freak and why is he bending notes and why is his guitar hacked up with holes and you know it's this not only playfulness but also kind of limitless imagination you know that like what are the limits the imagination basically and what the, the the dream realm maybe i mean most of my shows pre rogan theater also kind of came from a dreamscape you know uh i was asleep since you asked because mm -hmm. i did um i wake up and bang i just need my notebook you know i write things down and a stage show is ready or a vision for a stage setup or a costume or a concept it's just the rest is kind of the practical side of it trial and error sometimes you know in the rehearsal studio with people, you know, you, you figure out ways to do these things and then they're born. So um, I think it's, it's, it's one of these things. It's, it's hard at the same time to create a new quality, especially if, you know, collectively in culture uh, or in arts uh, overall, everything has been done before, right? Um, same kind of ideas pop up. There's a limited amount of chords and music that you can put together writing a song. There's a limited amount of ideas that you can basis screenplay for a movie on same for physical theater or you know that, any that, that reminds me of uh sorry to interrupt but that reminds yeah. me of uh red hot chili peppers got in a little bit of trouble like about 10 years ago mm -hmm. uh they well it was probably longer than that they released a song danny california and people were like that sounds like tom petty and Tom Petty came forward and is like I don't care there's only so many notes on a guitar <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, it is being said that that the best artists and best creators just like steal things and make it their own. Yeah, to be honest, is, I cannot say it applies to me because like the amount of, well, I don't want to say hours of intellectual thinking because nothing about creativity I find is intellectual. Medicine, like a lot is. It's books, it's theory, it's certain knowledge that you need to implement. Then on a practical note, you cannot improvise with that. Um, but although I know people that do, um, as well. And sometimes it's not for the best, you know, interest of the, the patient of the client. Uh, but, uh, basically it, it's organic. I find creativity in my personal, um, area of, of work. It, it's, it's impulsive, you know, it just literally happens. And then I just got to do it immediately. And usually I don't come back to it to kind of revisit that, put in corrections or, or change things is usually the first initial thought is the best one. So well, a prime example of borrowing and making it your own is the band kiss. They Kabuki theater, even Paul Stanley said in an interview, he's like, we saw Alice Cooper and we're like, one works. Why not four? <laughs> <laughs> like that's all. Cool. More, more is more and bigger is better. Right. 
And even Alice Cooper, like Alice was weird for his time because that was the hippie movement, but he borrowed (laughs) ideas from uh, Arthur Brown uh, and a lot of those early horror rock icons because it wasn't really rock at the time. It was like jazz, but they used horror theme in their live shows. Absolutely. I mean, funny that you actually mentioned Alice, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Alice and and I love his work early and latest um funny enough because um it it, it has a, a little attachment to rock dance theater beginnings actually and nothing to do with it, the artistic way because um what alice does is very much grotesque you know it's it's rock theater it's horror it's it's shock it's it's a little bit of burlesque you know you have very simple choreography you have sharon as the ballerina you know the painted doll you know destroyed and you have all of these monster characters you know but that's kind of you know artificial blood and it's 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 supposed to be a little bit kitschy right but it's done on purpose full on um but have you you seen super duper alice cooper (laughs) i did he i love it Back when he first started, people hated him because that was the the height of the hippie movement. So they it would go. It did not fit by any means to the culture to, you know, love, peace, rock and roll and, you know, flowers on top. It was one of these things. It was the total opposite. You know, being a villain, being bad, being, you know, pretty ugly. That's That's one of the categories as well that I use for my work. You know, it's a pretty ugly aesthetic, which is completely in itself something new and oftentimes not something that people expect to appreciate, uh, not at least on a massive scale. So, you know, it's really odd to me, just a random thought that I just thought of the same thing was happening in England with black Sabbath, but I don't think black Sabbath or Alice Cooper ever met, like met up and did a tour. And you'd think they would have with that aspect of like adding horror to rock during that type of, era true um well maybe it's still ahead in some shape or form you know ozzy if he comes back you know if his health actually allows that you know and certain members from black sabbath and alice you know who knows what what's up ahead right but um coming back to to alice and actually the the small little influence funny because um the very first moment when I thought of Rock Dance Theater, and that was pre-name actually, that was way before I, I found a, a certain you know brand and representation for it, if you will. Um, I was in Sweden doing a couple of Rock Dance Theater shows on the On Edge tour with Peter Zager, which is my guitar player for the Swedish lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're international depending on where we tour, where we rehearse. Um, a certain big part of my family is up in Sweden, up in Stockholm. And shout out to all of you, you guys. Uh, if you're watching this, I miss you dearly, and I hope to be over there as ASAP. But we were doing a, a bunch of shows um, third week of July, um, if, if I remember correctly. And also Alice was doing his paranormal tour. And it was one of these evenings, you know, we come back from Gronalund, which was the venue play, one of my favorite venues ever. It's up on an island. It's an amusement park and, you know, basically a stage from which you look at a, a high, you know, top of, of a skyscraper and then you have this merry-go-round and a huge tower and like just neons popping and people screaming and dropping to the ground before they get lift up again. So it's just, it's just the coolest thing, you know, just literally out, out of a kiss or any other, you know, fantasy movie, right? So mm-hmm. we come back after the show, it's like 11 or 12, I'm all wired up, you know, the tunes are still playing in my head, the adrenaline is high. So I cannot sleep. And that kind of goes on and on and on until like 3, 4 a.m. And all of a sudden it hits me. Wait a minute. 
I've been doing physical dance for like the last 20 years. I love fashion. I always work with low key kind of alternative avant-garde fashion designer from over in Vienna, Kaima and uh, Mark Bygant, and recently also with some of the guys of, from Cult of Chrome. And I'm a huge rocker at heart. So why not kind of fuse it together? Rock dance theater. I sat down half an hour. I wrote down an eight, four page of a concept, something like to kind of, you know, publish officially. And 29th of July, it was there. The public announcement dropped and the rest is history, if you will. So, so Alice had a tiny little chunk, you know, adding to that. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's one of those moments, you know, when you're just like wired up and then things get born. There's a little bit of Alice in every idea. I remember that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the smeared makeup and we've done that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> every, everybody's done that. And whenever you meet Alice, everybody does the uh, we're not worthy. Um. <laughs> I haven't met Alice yet. You know, I, I happen to be, you know, kind of friends with, with, uh, with Alice Cooper band, you know, with Tommy Henriksen and with Ryan Roxy, you know, we, we've bumped into each other multiple times. We, we hang out, you know, past shows or pre-shows or at guitar clinics, you know, with Nita Strauss or for at Abbey Road Institute. Um, but yeah, probably when I bump into Al, it's going to be one of these things like, we're not worthy, number one, but number two, thank you, you know, uh, for all your, 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 you've done and having a small little, you know, molecule in there uh, for Rock Dance Theater to be born. So. Who knew, right? But um, yeah, I think aside of aside of Alice and like all of the kind of you know big grandfathers, if you will, of rock and metal, and why many bands and many artists are basically born out of out of inspiration, out of listening to tunes. You know, I, I laugh that literally I was a rocker at heart at heart from you know day one. I was raised in California, and as a kid, you know, we would travel over summer um, or throughout the years uh, living over there. It was around four years in San Diego. We would travel to Las Vegas or over to Florida or Orlando. And I, I literally remember like just attracting crowds, being a you know, a hyper kid doing dry figure eight skating somewhere on, you know, um ho holiday in uh, you know, lobbies and, and lounges and you know in casino entrances. It's just like it was one of these things. Like I was a monster to to raise basically at, at so many um ideas i had so many you know energy lo load ups uh during the day and night i was the last person to sleep because i just wanted to hang out around adults um I, ask my I mother she's gonna tell you like it was terrible to spend five minutes alone because i was everywhere so i guess you know i kind of ended up uh not not the worst case uh scenario but as you say i'm everywhere because that's exactly translate how I was like, you know, as a small little kid. <laughs> so it happened I, way back then. So. I feel you on that because I was the uh, class clown. I was the comedian. <laughs> so I always brought I it around. Clown, but I was definitely the one to lead the mischief. It was usually me and a gang of three other guys. I was the only girl. So that was one of these things. And, uh, let's listen to records, you know, on the corridor. Uh, let's put in the pins in the door. Now let's do something to sabotage math class. It was just like so boring, you know? And like, to be honest, I, I was a good student, you know? I it was easy, you know, studying came easy and memorizing things. And I was kind of like a Napoleon, you know, I was listening with one ear. So anytime the teacher asked, asked me out, you know, to answer any kind of question, I always did. And then I kind of came back to either, you know, 
doing my nails or listening to something or throwing, you know, pieces of paper into first row. It's just like, it was one of these things. But funny, that was primary school. Later, because I started, you know, my artistic career on a professional level very early on as a teen. So at age 16, I was teaching in my school because we had a topic, a subject that was dance history. So, you know, who else to kind of tap into someone that has been doing that for, you know, the last 10 years at least on a practical level. So I kid you not, the, the teacher literally gave me the, the school book, you know, and the, the only curriculum that was there, uh, a book on history starting somewhere in ancient times, ancient Greece, finishing in the 1920s. And that was it. So no one knew about the contemporary stream. No one knew what happened post-ballet, post-Isadora Duncan, post-Mumers Cunningham, you know, and I've kind of done all of that. So there you go. I had my my first teacher's license at, at age 16. So that was a, a tw interesting twist, I got to say. So I, I, I'll admit I sucked at school. I learned more outside of school than I did in it. <laughs> You know what? School is something to be to be kind of done, and it's an element of our experience. But is there? And I'm speaking out of a position of someone that that has kind of both worlds covered. Because as much as I have, you know, a, an academia, I'm, I have a bachelor in physiotherapy. I have a bachelor in, you know, choreography and 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 teaching. I started early on with a with a license for for teaching performing arts and contemporary dance uh, by the Institute of of the um, cultural ministry. And that I started initially when I was 16. I graduated from it when I was 18. So over here in Europe, you're mature at age 18. So you're already kind of allowed to, to practice that and to officially teach and be invited by festivals and institutions. But then again, everything that, that was my big interest from day one at school was researching things on my own and really tapping into psychology and literature and painting and physical theater and fashion and music and records. And so, you know, on, on that level, there, there is no good way, basically. Any way to kind of get to where you want to be, of course, you know, having an education and a theoretical background um, trains your brain to, to kind of think and work in a certain way. And it has a lot of positive aspects, but then again, you know, not not having that and having your own kind of way of figuring out things and also making your way up. There's an, a number of creators and artists and geniuses throughout time, not only in rock and metal that, mm -hmm. you know, dropped out of school and all of a sudden they're the biggest act in the world. So, you know, th there is no ways. Each way is is your own individual and that that's my version and i'm sticking to it <laughs> exactly there is in life there is no right or wrong ways there's just your way there, and there are no rules actually as we learned over the last course of last year there are no rules all of a sudden you know a higher power can switch off the whole world like literally to a halt and uh life, make is, about, life, life is about adapting and overcoming that's absolutely and we gotta um, find ways to reinvent and adapt and find new ways to kind of do what we're doing just with different mediums. And, you know, it's a, it's a cycle. It's mm -hmm. a never ending story. Pretty much. <laughs> Where's my uh, big freaking white dragon. If this is a never ending story. <laughs> I'll check in my kitchen. You never know. <laughs> if you guys want to take online classes with uh, Anna, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. You, uh, you uh, do uh all the uh, workouts, the performance, mentoring, body management. 
I still am amazed. That, are you sure that you're not a twin and like there's two of you working at this shit? Because I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I am, you know, all of, all of those in one person. And, and it, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I do it out of out of passion and out of, you know, this this huge kind of flow of ideas and to be honest i was i was born that way if you remember you know not a rock tune for from a couple of years uh back born that way from lady gaga like it's yeah. it's one of these things you know some people um i find are meant to do certain things i'm definitely not someone to have a day job to work in an office although i had a season of my life actually in 2016 that i worked as a head physiotherapist for the ballet company and the Bressau opera and that was a full on you know, uh, full-time employment and working at an institution. It was interesting to say the least. I mean, putting together a schedule, um, a kind of a nine to five thing with my my creative work, um, traveling to teach workshop, you know, being a, a guest physiotherapist at Praxis Romerschasse and Linz and teaching courses for physiotherapists uh, weekend in and weekend out, that was pretty challenging you know, to, to, to connect in the calendar and find ways to do both because I'm greedy, basically. It's never one or the other. It has to be everything at the same time. So I, I, I find there is no method for that, to be honest. But um, yeah, like same with bass, you know, it, it wasn't really me deciding, okay, today I'm going to take take up learning bass and it's going to end up in one of my creative projects. Not at all. It, it chose me. Same with guitar playing. I, I woke up one day on the morning of Steven Tyler's birthday. And basically it was, okay, you will rock now. So uh, basically that, that's what I did. Um, a guitar that I had in my family from my grandfather, actually very beginnings of electronic music and electronic instruments. Uh, it was a, originally a, a lap seal that I received. It was passed on to, from my grandfather to my mom and my mom gave it to me years, years later. Uh, 1953, if I remember correctly, Hensdorf Universa, a flat top, um, three quarter inch, beautiful finish, you know, uh, one little tiny pickup, banana plug, and that was it. And first chords that I learned was actually the Godfather. It was nothing like smoke on the water, you know, anything like that. I, I kind of wanted to do something, you know, different, uh, which is my nature, practically. So uh, the moment I strummed, you know, the, the, the E string for the very first time, that's what the magic was born. I was like, Oh my God, it does music. So, um, so I, I have to notice something because this is how my brain works. You know, you're a rock and roll metal or even a music fan. When your concept of time is I did this on so-and-so's birthday. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because if you're talking about lack of coincidences, there really are none. I mean, there is all these little moments that there was a birthday or a date or an anniversary and it happens to be on. And e even all last year, I got to say, um, I got inspired to do one, one of these, you know, performance through remote videos to Rebel Yell, one of my, you know, favorite songs ever by Billy Idol. And uh, it was an anniversary of the song um on that day and now my mind of course the date skips me thank you very much mike <laughs> um, and on that day i was inspired to do this music video and funny enough i didn't cover the original song written like recorded by the by the by the band i did a reimagined performance over the elifson cover of the song which is from the no cover album from 2020 so that was like three generations in 
of the you know of the song and um, and the reimagining of the of the tune. So there you go. <laughs> so where where does it come from? I have no idea. It just it's just born out of love and passion and you know. <laughs> so with you playing bass and uh, instrument stuff, do you plan on ever releasing your own music? Um, you know what? Funny that you ask that. I actually produce. Not that you're, not you're busy or anything. Not that you're already, not not like you're already busy or anything, but yeah, it has nothing to do with. I mean, these days my my calendar is pretty open in terms of you know I'm not touring, so like, yeah. Uh, that being said, of course, that it, it gives a lot of time on our hands. Um, in 2017, I actually released a small little demo for a soundtrack for uh, On Edge, which was one of my first rock dance theater projects uh, that dropped um, over autumn in 2017. And I did some sampling work. It was, you know, very simple kind of looped up guitar on, you know, overdrive and very kind of gnarly, very loud, very distorted and, and weird sounding. It was supposed to be um, kind of uncomfortable and on a pretty ugly category. Uh, yet again, the piece was a duet with a, with a guitar player that happens to also be a, a, a violin player. Um, so we did that, and that, that was basically the soundtrack that we wrote kind of originally. I mean, originally, Victor did, did most of the parts, but a lot of the parts were actually improvised based on a, a certain structure, and those derived from the choreography. It wasn't really music written, like literally you sit down and, you know, you write a tune and it starts off with a riff. Uh, in that case, you know, first days actually uh, we, when we rehearsed on Edge and it happened very fast. Within three weeks, basically, we decided, OK, let's premiere this thing. So we did. We did the premiere um, in Vienna and we decided to to record um, the master from from the live performance in Vienna and Shikanida Kino. And that was kind of the foundation, the structure for the 45 minute, 60 minute kind of timescape uh, for the thing. And basically my part of the guitars uh, is everything that I do in my choreography, meaning, you know, being bent over with the guitar, hanging by the guitar neck, you know, distorting all kinds of things, slapping on it, you know, hitting it. But that comes out of my body. It's not like I'm playing tunes and chords. I mean, you know, for rock and roll, basically three power chords are enough to kind of cover what you need. But um, to be honest, answering your question, you never know. Um, over the course of 2020, I did come up with small little riffs. You know, I'm not a, an educated musician, but, um, you know, it's one of these things. Then again, it's another uh, basically platform to lay out, you know, your expression and your translate your language to the audience. So uh, you never know if one day a song or two might drop. I, I started actually working on a couple of little things uh, with a friend of mine over in Sweden, um, a drummer, but he also plays guitar. So we, we started to riff off of that and maybe a song will be born out of that. You never know. Um, I guess time will tell. So, so like, that's, I, I would love to hear music from you, but you went, oh you God, said that. I, I would want to hear that. That, that would be something definitely sick. <laughs> you said that, that you're no. You said you're no music professional, but neither was Nikki Six on the first two Motley Crue albums. <laughs> oh, actually, actually, Nikki for for many people was was the worst bass player in the world. And you know, to me, Nikki is one of these characters that actually he was a full on rock star from day one. I mean, the concept and the name and you know everything around it. He had a vision for how Motley should look and how it should sound and 
you know, where it should be placed and what are we wearing. And to be honest, he kind of, I guess he kind of learned along the way to play, right? Yeah. Practice yeah. makes perfect. And that's the only way to do it. <laughs> like no theory is going to cover that. So Have you read heroin diaries? His book? I did. I, so, I think it was Tommy Lee was like, uh, Nikki six was not a good bass player. The first couple albums, but I mean, Gene Simmons isn't a good bass player either. So that never stopped him. <laughs> I disagree because I think Gene is one of the most underrated, uh, bass players out there. I mean, like funny, I was actually talking to someone the other day about this and you know, as, as much as there's the simplicity about playing the bass that Gene does. And of course you have the main, you know, image of the monster of the demon on the, you know, huge six, um, 16 inch platform boots and, you know, all of that magnitude, the way that he executes, if you will, and performs the chord, there's a very distinctive kind of way of playing and laying the notes and pausing and, you know, kind of riffing through, you know, the guitar neck. So to me, initially as a choreography when i kind of look at his hands you know and i watch him perform on stage like even in the dubai live stream the the goodbye 2020 um i gotta say that it, it kind of reassures me that that gene is an actual like killer bass player and uh, many are underrated to be honest it's just a question of analyzing and digging deep into i mean steve harris of course is a god and you know, the thing he does with his fingers, it's it's unreal. Same as Billy, you know, Billy Sheehan and uh, many Steve others. Harris, Steve Harris uses all four fingers, these four fingers to play. He does. Oh, and funny enough, you know, again, if we're talking from the medical side of things, anatomy, you know, certain predisposed factors, not all people have, you know, the tendon. And this is like a trade secret, actually, that I can give away. Not many people have an isolated tendon for the flexors in not both me. fingers. So basically what would happen if you if you want to bend, you know, on a on a guitar or bass neck, usually one, two, three is easy, right? But the two happens to flex together, right? And it's That's actually quite cool if you want to separate those. So many times it's very a technical thing to isolate those, you know, to kind of get the stretch, you know, in a comfortable position, you know everything is kind of involved with that with with steve you know he happens to have a hand that he developed to play with four and the idea that he does play with four it, it's pretty outstanding because not many people you know nail two fingers <laughs> to be honest so he has that double <laughs> one of uh, my favorite bass players because he's very he's very underrated everybody knows he's great but he's still underrated Les claypool all right he he plays some very simplistic bass lines and sings at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's a super cool combo. That's something that I find very interesting. And I think yeah, yeah. in new bands, it's, 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 a, it's actually a quite new thing to have the lead, you know, lead vocal and bass at the same time. I find that really, really cool. And uh, to be honest, I mean, now at this point in time, I'm actually biased because I'm full on in love with bass. So, you know, everything is kind of like, nah, you know, I love guitar players and I love drummers. And on the, in, in that sense, it's like all of the band members have their own intricate, organic, you know, qualities to them. But to be honest, there's nothing better than a singing bass player. I mean, at this point, it's just, there's it's actually cool like, with them and it's even cooler to work with them. So if you was to try to name the bands uh, from the late nineties before that, it'd be a handful of them maybe that's bass player and singer like motorhead for instance the beatles like 
Rush. <laughs> even even Motorhead. I mean, to to be honest, Lemmy always played the bass as if he was playing the, the guitar. You know, the the yeah. strumming, the aggression, the attack of it. So very much to me, Lemmy is is one of these people that again created this outstanding new language, new way of expression that is in your face, that is loud. But as a as a songwriter and as a lyric and song deliverer, if you will, it's very much like a guitar playing to me, to be honest. So it's like, this is the, the beautiful thing about it, that, that it's out of the category. If you cannot really name it and, you know, put a certain box on it, that's the best thing, to be honest, because that's where uniqueness is, is being created and born. And I don't think even trying to categorize anything like that is a good idea. Like, why should you? To be honest, like let let all of them figure it out or just simply enjoy it, you know, organically, you know, through your gut and not necessarily with your intellect. So um, yeah, that that's that's what I think in terms of analysis. To be honest, mm -hmm. well, the bass instrument is actually a very underrated instrument to begin with. It's pretty much the core of the band, but everybody's like, I want to be a guitarist, I want to be a drummer. I'm like, you need well, you know, the meme, right? Like the guitar player gets all of the the girls. The vocal player gets all of the girls. The drummer gets the the other type of the girls, right? And the bass player ends up like, hell, like what am I doing here? But I, I absolutely agree. It, it's a cool instrument, you know. I I like things that are big on stage. I like things that are heavy. So to me, to be honest, when I started with with guitar, even you know organically and and physically, because again, me being a choreographer out of my one of the first educations, I translate many things through the body, basically. So to me, power chords on guitar, which was always kind of my thing, and I like the repetitiveness, I, I love the trance of it, that automatically kind of fell right into place for me with bass playing, because to be honest, that that's exactly what kind of is coming out from my body organically and naturally, you know. Playing a lead or a solo in, on guitar requires a certain skill, I mean, and that's, Again, why in ballet school you have tests that have prerequisites for certain young dancers, certain young bodies to either fit into a ballet school or not because they don't have the body type. I very strongly believe that, you know, there's no kind of access test to it, but somehow organically instruments find certain people and certain player. That's why, you know, even for mentioned David Ellison all of a sudden played bass because that spoke to him and that sucked him in for the passion of playing bass. And some people are meant to be headliners, uh, you know, and front, front men or women and be on vocals in front of the mic, you know, rocking the crowds each day and just like talking away and throwing in stories and just like activating the crowd to cheer. You know, it, it's organic. You cannot really analyze that. And some things are completely out of our like logical thinking or, you know, theoretical thinking. It's just, it's the way things run in nature of rock, I, I should say. <laughs> Some musicians, though, are meant for one instrument and find themselves playing another one, like Tommy, for instance, uh, Tommy Hendrickson. He is yeah. a natural born bass player, but Alice Cooper's like, You play guitar? And he's like, I do now. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer. If someone asks that if you do something, just say yes and figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, did you ever hear Chuck Garrick's story about when he got the gig for Dio and they asked, oh, they, asked they asked him if he had a passport and he said yes, but he didn't. <laughs> he arrived on the day, like I think that the phone rang, right? And he had to confirm like the tour travel. I mean, come on, how how awesome is that? It's just one of these things like 
last minute thank you higher power god whatever it shall be yeah that was <laughs> cool <laughs> so everybody in the chat if you want to go ahead and go over to facebook after this interview and go give a like to rock dance theater or on any of the social media platforms we rehearsed that right we rehearsed that in the green room but yes basically as you said everything with you know rock dance theater leads <laughs> to all things rock dance theater there is only one so that's a good thing so uh if you lack new year's resolutions guys head on throw us a like a subscribe and all of those good things and same for band-aid as well Absolutely. And subscribe to this channel so uh, you can watch more episodes of Pink Sock Podcast. See, for you, it's easy. Like, the arrows run down, right? Yeah, there's actually a... where? The, how the hell do you do this? I'm dancing over here. Oh, <laughs> we, we've got a... There should be a subscribe button right in the corner where you're at, uh, right below you. Just, like, point to it. Just do this. I think it's there. Uh, it's somewhere down there. It's, oh <laughs> it's somewhere. I can't see it on this end, but... <laughs> But for sure, all of the folks watching and tuning in, they do. They, they, they do. know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so back on uh, Legendary Axe, though, can you actually retire from music? Because Motley Crue did a farewell tour. They're back. Ozzy Osbourne's doing the No More Tours thing. And I saw him on that tour. And funny story, the guy in front of me was wearing the official tour shirt. And it said, No More Tours Part 2. This time, I'm not fucking kidding. I looked at this shirt. I looked up on stage and Ozzy was in the middle of a speech and he said this. I know there's a lot of rumors going on. This is my final tour. This isn't my fucking final tour. I'm just not going to do it all in one go anymore. I'm like, dude, you're just... There you go. <laughs> like, do you think people in rock and roll can actually retire? I have no idea. I don't plan to, so I guess I'll tell you when, when I'm dead or whoever from you know future management will. So no, but in, in total seriousness, you know what? Those of us that cannot imagine doing anything else and just it, it's a question of doing you know everything bigger, better, and stronger, as I used to quote um, early on. To be honest, no. I mean, the question of retirement when you're a huge act. And I mean, you know, arena bands and artists as Ozzy, as Motley Crue, you know, and all of those people, it's always good in my mind and in my opinion to end up on top, meaning yeah. not being the artist that cannot move anymore, that cannot really, you know, sing anymore. I cannot really deliver a quality act that people pay big money for oftentimes. So to be honest, if you want to find out ways to still put out your art, be it just records, just music videos, or anything else that falls under, you know, a rock dance theater name and Ozzy Osbourne name or however, you know, find out a way so that it keeps the quality. Because, you know, you never want to look at a rocker and kind of feel sorry for anyone. That's kind of not yeah. the idea. You know, we're, we're entertainers and, you know, rock and rollers. But I find, and I can also talk from a medical perspective, that to be honest, I've observed many artists and people that are not 16, 20, or 30 even in the field, they're more rather 60, 70 and up. Mm -hmm. They still kick ass, they still rock because that's exactly what keeps their youth, you know, doing oh, it. And even quoting Ozzy, Ozzy said it, you know, like if I stopped singing, stopped touring, stopped performing, I die. Like mm -hmm. 
what else is there, right? With the whole retirement thing, though, I don't think any rock artist has had a successful retirement tour and not come back. I don't think any of them have. Like, on a serious note, I don't think. And the thing with uh, going back to 70-year-olds and stuff still kicking ass out there, we can go back to Alice Cooper. He's still kicking ass. Um, Bruce Dickinson of uh, Iron Maiden, he just got over throat cancer, and he's still kicking ass. He cancer, he's back in the game. You know, Alice, as he says, he's freaked out by needles. He hardly sees a doctor in, like, years and he's the most, you know, in shape rocker. And to be honest, uh, uh, best example for, for many young artists. Because, like, funny, here's the thing. In my medical practice, I find actually young people and teenagers, they have way more health issues these days than people my age or people 40, 50, 60 and up. And that's pretty interesting to observe. And it's kind of scary when you think about it, too. Here's a good example. The Rolling Stones. <laughs> no, I, I, it, it's unfortunate, but I actually had to laugh because a couple years ago, as we all know, Mick Jagger's this runner. He's sober. He's in shape. He's like the, the healthiest member of the Rolling Stones. Keith, on the other hand, still drinks, still smokes. Well, it came out that the Rolling Stones had to cancel a tour. First time in years. And the person that did the public service announcement for it was Keith Richards with a cigarette in his hand and his whiskey in the other. And he said, we have to cancel the tour with the Rolling Stones because Mick Jagger's in the hospital from a heart attack. <laughs> and I'm like, what? you had the least healthiest the member. Huh? The irony, right? <laughs> yeah. You had the least healthiest member, supposedly, making the announcement that the healthiest one is in the hospital. <laughs> Well, you know, back in the day, and for example, even the Hollywood Vampire Club, right? Like Alice Cooper, Jimi Hendrix, you know, Keith Moon, many of rockers that did not make it um, yes. and are no longer with us. Hey, there, there's a time for everything. I mean, many artists start like that. It's all about, you know, the time after the show, the the partying, the socializing, the having fun. But to be honest, at a certain point in time, that that there comes a time where you realize that if you really want to do it full on as a as a professional, it will not serve your health because you either die, either someone else dies because of it, equipment gets destroyed, you know, audience all of a sudden is is in the middle of a mess or an accident, and that's been known to happen, you know, due to certain excess with many artists, not even in rock or metal, yeah, throughout yeah. time, and uh, you know, if you really want to do it long and healthy and in quality you really need to approach it as a as a professional high maintenance athletic sport so the irony kind of of it is that before it used to be cocaine and substances and alcohol and everything from the illegal chemical list these days you know it's yoga gyrotonics and green tea and you know body management by performing arts medicine right and and it's okay because that's why all of those people kind of figure it out that you know what maybe i don't need it and uh, that's why they're timeless. It's at least really, in my mind. So it's, it's really funny though that some of the rockers though are, that are still alive that really like medically shouldn't be <laughs> due to how much they did. And I saw an interview with Keith Richards. They're like, they asked him, they're like, how did you survive all the excess? He's like, because a lot of people didn't know the limits. <laughs> so oh, like, limit, right. I mean. <laughs> I'm like, what is the limit? Nikki Six died twice, literally had a full-on cardiac arrest for certain minutes before he was brought back. So, Ozzy you know, died. Limit, 
name it luck, name it higher power, name it whatever in the chemical kind of situation of a human body, you know, there are things that are unknown to all of us. So I read somewhere that Ozzy Osbourne has died nine times in his life. I'm like, bro. <laughs> the luck, but, uh, you know, thankfully he's still here. And uh, if he doesn't have to push a 10th one, that's going to be good for all of us. <laughs> well, I, I actually felt really bad for him because he was doing his farewell tour and he got like a double staph infection in his thumb. He got yeah. double pneumonia. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude, slow down. I'm kind of the worst of the worst. I mean, you know, sepsis is very oftentimes a death sentence, you know, pneumonia very often as well. So to be honest, if your organism is strong and, and somehow, some way the body bounces back from that. And on top of that, I mean, of course, I, I don't know the medical procedure. I have no idea how, how, how Ozzy's health, for example, was managed because um, I wasn't there. But I guess also being lucky with having medical staff that is very professional that managed to bring you back and again, Nikki Six, for example, he happened to be saved by a guy that was a hardcore fan of Motley Crue. And literally out of the book, you know, he said, hey, this is Nikki Six from Motley Crue. He, this guy is not dying on my watch. So he spent a certain amount of time on resuscitating him. And I think giving, giving him even two doses of adrenaline. Um, I remember correctly. So, you know, but that's, I mean, imagine otherwise, right? Like. The one thing they didn't mention in the movie, they mentioned it in the book, but they didn't mention it in the movie was the person that actually told the doctors who he was. And then the fan stepped in was actually Slash's then girlfriend. Because mm -hmm. uh, Slash and Nikki were partying together and they didn't really mention that in the movie. They showed Slash on the couch but they never said who it was. Well, a character that played someone resembling Slash. That, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it was because Slash didn't agree with being depicted in the movie or what, but... <laughs> I guess you would have to interview, you know, the production crew for, for Dirt. <laughs> but uh, back on the whole Aussie thing, though, he actually was interviewed and they actually did a DNA test to find out why he's still alive. Now, you know you've been through some shady shit. <laughs> when, doctors, when doctors are like, why are you still alive? Um, I guess he has Neanderthal DNA. He's not 100% human, I guess. He has well, Neanderthal DNA in him. Human. Basically, the, the, the funny thing is that, that all of us have certain mixtures in our DNA that are not, you know, kind of clear blood, if you will. Like, no one really is 100% European. No one is 100% from, from Asia or Africa. Like, all of that throughout centuries have been actually mixed. So, to be honest, if you analyze your own DNA and, and your own background, you know, I'm half French, Turkish, Tatar, to be honest, from the side of my granddad and my mom. Um, so, you know, again, it, it all kind of depends on, on the DNA and on the medical side of your, or of your organism. A lot of it is luck. And a lot of it is many things that we, we cannot really explain that all of a sudden make someone, you know, make it out to the other end. And even, even me in my medical practice, I've been kind of fortunate to, to be a witness of, of a couple of, you know, medical miracles, to be honest. Um, way back in 2011 when i was still working at the olympic clinic carolina medical center i was lucky enough to work right next to uh, professor zombeck which is the lead neurosurgeon uh, consultant for central europe 
and she was performing a surgery, literally removing like a microscopic tumor um, in the co spinal column. And to be honest, it, the, the patient, the guy that was in the surgery, um, he had a death sentence. Basically, it, it meant paralysis. It meant, you know, stopping his bodily functions, you know, his lungs uh, not having the capacity to, to work anymore. And uh, if not that, if not having found uh, the professor that would operate on him, because no one did, no one even dared to, to go any close to that. You know, you have blood vessels, you have everything that is vital to the organs and uh, could be fatal very much if just like even, you know, pierced with a scalpel on, on first surgery entry. So, and, and, you know, that, so that was pretty amazing that often in times you all of a sudden meet someone that either seen a case or two, um, in their career and happen to be lucky. Okay, let's do this. Let's go in. Um, or just, you know, anything else to be honest, but, uh, it, it is definitely very interesting, uh, when you look about, look at it. So, um, the medical field is very interesting nowadays because we have so much technology, but there's a lot of doctors that are like, I won't touch him because of this, that, and the other, if he's a patient that would die without the surgery, why not just take the chance? Well, you know, here's the thing. Basically, there is no black and white in medicine. There's just shades of gray, purely. I mean, there's so many factors sometimes. And, and you know, oftentimes someone just refuses to take on any any case because it has certain risks, death included, which is like kind of on the top 10, top five list in any surgery, however benign, um, cosmetic surgery to that uh, as well. But to be honest, I, I strongly believe that, you know, as, as a medical profession, you, you're kind of under oath, you know, to to work with somebody's health. And if someone trusts you and puts faith into you working with their injury, with their problem, with their sickness, you kind of need to do the best of your ability to deliver the best service, the best help that you can possibly can. If you're unsure, better to send someone, you know, else um, to a specialist that, that actually can solve someone or even better work in collaboration. I mean, I laugh that that I act like like a female doctor house many times because a lot of cases that are kind of uncracked and, and and I have that all the time not only with musicians but throughout you know all kinds of um, professions people with super hardcore chronic um, illnesses and pains and 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 problems that had developed over the years from something very benign a small you know um, car crash falling from a from a swing at age three. Um, bumping into something, you know, taking the wrong medicine at, at some moment in time, you know, these things happen as well. They're just wrongly administered. All of a sudden, you know, they come to me and we find the source of the problem because what, what hurts at what manifests pain oftentimes is none of my interest. I, like, I don't even touch that body part to start with. Instead, I kind of go down the rabbit hole in search of, of the cause of the problem because 95% of the time, I can tell you um, that's the, the cause of the problem. It's an end result that that hurts, but anything else is hidden behind it. And, and that's actually the most well fascinating and creative element to, to actually working, you know, as a, as a holistic physio, as I do with my approach. In that field, well, it's still on my mind. We we're talking medicine. Our, uh, we have a producer. Her name is Kathy Grant. You know, Kathy, Kathy Spooky Peg. Yeah, um, I she, think that was initially the the person to to hit me up for this. Yeah. Oh, she actually hit you up and then told me, "Hey, I know this girl, uh, Anna from Rock Dance Theater. I was going to see if she wanted to be on your show." I'm like, "Actually, I already know her." <laughs> <laughs> the world is very small, Mike, as we know. So. <laughs> 
but uh she actually had a question for you sure um she would like to know your ideas of exercise for a healthy back. She had disc surgery a few years back and always keen to hear ideas on how to look after it better. Um, okay. Since it's, since a, it's a pretty personal medical case question, uh, let her hit me up uh, personally. I don't want to do these things on air because of course, none of it should substitute a, a professional consult. Basically, there is no uh, golden standard for either exercise or, or a physical procedure. It's always individual. It all depends what has been done uh, in surgery, the time of recovery, what elements have been, you know, either placed in the body or resected and removed. So like all of that, I, I personally always test and check manually. And there we go. We dig into the, the history of the health, of course, and all of the other factors that usually you might not realize. So um, sorry, I cannot... Uh, answer that directly but if, if she hits me up we'll we'll try to find uh, a, a solution to to help her out with with her question so I'll, I'll let her know i'll let her know sure. you, you're into a lot of things are you also into like the mental health aspect of things or are you just um i mean by mental of course it's a huge part of basically any successful uh, rehab program and and treatment and therapy you know basically it does start from a positive attitude number one i mean if i work with someone be it musician be it um athlete we have to decide okay we're working in this together i can navigate you and and manage your health and what should be done in certain abc elements and uh, the way that i work you know we have the structure which is the bone and and joints and all of the structural and anatomical elements, you have the biochemistry and of course you have the psyche. So you have like a tri triangle pyramid and whenever one of the elements are off and unbalanced, the rest follows. It's like a chain reaction. Nothing is is um, is an isolated element from it. So by that, um, well, the way that uh, mental health, health is addressed in this case, of course, in physiotherapy, many things are being done manually and by hand uh but also many many times i find with people that any kind of emotion and negative to that that caused a certain trauma causes a pattern that all of a sudden is manifested through the body so you might not even realize but but very often at times anything that is understood and kind of clinically named and diagnosed as a depression isn't many mm -hmm. times it's biochemical um, disbalances that I find in my practice. And I test that also with, with certain chemical test kits um, and substances as well with muscle tests. Um, very oftentimes it's, it's all kinds of bad experiences, losing a loved one, any kind of trauma, you know, uh, meaning accident and all of that, that subconsciously is kind of, you know, being pushed to the side because I don't want to deal with that. You know, it's not nice. It doesn't make me happy. It makes me sad. All of that not being addressed over time the body immediately try, tries to find a way to, to heal that and to compensate that. And over time, that leads um, in the end to, to a certain injury and in a pretty nasty process of kind of retrieving that because even each emotion, right? When we're happy, a positive emotion, happiness, triggers serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins. Mm -hmm. Stress-related situation triggers cortisol. And there is actually... Um, one of the syndromes that are, that are caused by stress initially, it's called the uh, oxidative stress and nitrosative stress. And you can find that basically in research and medical papers. And uh, in a nutshell, in layman's terms, is literally stress kills because it triggers the cells to die prematurely um, and, and makes the body age. 
so basically in the long run uh mental health or you know the the psychological side of it uh, has a huge influence especially in arts especially in performing arts and that often at times is not being addressed uh you know for certain reasons you know it's not being talked about it's, it's being frowned upon many times but um basically attitude and like the positive mindset is a huge part of, of any success not even in treatment uh even in putting on a uh, a rockin', you know, full-on rock show as well, if not especially. So, what um I was getting at with that question, we do have people asking for a part two, and we were planning on doing an episode focusing on mental health within the rock industry and stuff, and bring on some people to help talk about how they handle it and everything. And I was going to see if you'd be interested in that. Sure, absolutely. I mean. Again, me being uh, a physiotherapist working very holistically, mental health is a is a huge element of the work. There are certain techniques that I perform on someone, which which for example are being called recoil and recall technique. When we kind of go back to the trauma, go back to the source of of any stress or or basically any negative emotion, whatever that might be in a in a person's life. So if I can put any any kind of input from my own practice and my uh, my own experience, most definitely, sure. Yeah, because uh, I was going to do an episode like that. I'm still planning on doing it. Um, our friend Steve Brown was going to come on the show and talk about it with his Drive Foundation. But due to his tragic passing, I'm going to try to still put it together because I would like to spread the awareness of mental health because depression, anxiety, stress, everything is a big <laughs> issue with a lot of people, especially... <laughs> 2020, I would think. Uh, yeah. However, you know, we're we're dealing with a virus, but isolation in itself, and the fact of all of us that that work in an industry purely based on human interaction, right, and close to that um, on both sides. Well, for me as a rock performer, but also as a medical professional, I mean, not working in physical contact with people, you know, it's it's an unprecedented situation. None of us, as as you know, group and organic being beings that are pretty much born and made to be together and to interact with each other, you know, be social. Basically, all of that was kind of scratched off the books uh, in 2020. So for sure, that's a completely new area. And um, yesterday I was actually doing one of one of these live streams with my friend over in Kentucky, um, Aaron Kishin from The Rocker Life. And he was also saying the same, that, that we, we kind of figure that right now, more than any time, we discover all of a sudden, not only new uh, professions and not new sectors that would need to be kind of covered uh, and administered for support for fans, for artists themselves, you know, the industry, it's not being talked about, but um, even I started, and a little bit on a different note, I started um, at my performing arts medicine practice, I started Met Talks, which is basically a dialogue and a conversation uh, hosted by me and whoever's joining in, in discussion, I had um, tour manager Blaine Brighton a couple of weeks ago uh, on the episode. I had a nutritionist, Salma Haider, over from, from Qatar. And we were basically talking through topics that, that relate in a very broad spectrum from you know the mental side through nutrition, through management of health, through injuries and you know wear and tear and all of that. Uh, pretty much also among others to to bring a little bit of awareness and education to to the factors because again that that's none of the topics that kind of make it you know as headlines and oftentimes it, it should you know it basically should be um acknowledged how complex it is to take care of 
someone working in an environment that is very much stress related, meaning touring artists, touring musician, performer. Well, with 2020, it also hit home to a lot of people because a lot of people, including myself, used concerts as like therapy. I used to go to concerts all the time, but what good positive came out of it was I learned how to handle shit on my own. Um, I got into meditation. I pretty much found myself mentally. And it's a scary thing if you're stuck at home and you have to find yourself mentally. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to live in, you know, isolated homes and kind of a home arrest, right? It's it's now we learn that it's, it's nothing fun. It's definitely nothing to do in the long run. So thanks to the pandemic, though, we have this. Absolutely. This is what. <laughs> This is one of the most positive things. And I think this is the perfect way to kind of, you know, always stick to the positive elements of it because there are many. And I think more than we than we appreciate. So absolutely, it would be would be a pleasure. If you have an idea, Mike, for that, uh, I would be glad to to hop on, on on part two. All right. I'm hoping for the next couple of months. I just need to get more people in on it. You know where to reach me, basically. <laughs> You're you're easy to get a hold of. <laughs> I hope that that changes because I'm just gonna be on the road and my phone is gonna be deep in in my bag and uh, yeah. <laughs> Where's Anna? <laughs> rocking the the free world. Keep on rocking in the free world. <laughs> Which exactly. version do you prefer, Pearl Jam's or the original? Um, undecisive. I love them both. <laughs> I love Pearl Jam, but sometimes I just can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> just like Ozzy, it doesn't matter. It's 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 the energy and the vibe that comes across. You don't you don't need to dig into the details. <laughs> so everyone, uh, I'm going to cut this uh, off because we're getting to the hour and a half mark. But go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Subscribe. It's somewhere. Uh, on this screen. I don't know. She's drinking her 15th cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got a tiny little server that slides those, you know, things in fresh brewed. Did you see my uh, Christmas present? I got a coffee mug. That <laughs> Untitled. That's a nice mug. <laughs> it, it was from a subscriber. They're like, you need this mug. And they sent it. But go ahead and also follow. You can find Anna on Rock Dance Theater. You can also find her on Band Aid. And by the time she comes back, she might have five other projects you can follow. <laughs> Let's stick to those main ones and everything else, you know, that happens from it. But I'll uh, keep in touch, Anna. It was nice doing this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming and agreeing. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure. No problem. And everyone, remember, live long, rock hard. I'll see you guys next week. Peace.